0: It's the
1: Pirate Monk
0: Podcast, coming to you once again, practically live, from high atop the Mellow Mushroom in downtown metropolitan Franklin, Tennessee. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here in Studio A, with our fearless, peerless engineer, Mondo Grimes. Ahoy. Ahoy. Special guest, Kyle Rigsby. Hello, hello. And joining us from uh, the far left side of the continent, Mm. from Studio B in San Luis Obispo, California, none other than the Commodore, Aaron Porter.
1: Yo-ho. Yo.
0: Ho. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's Tuesday again. Kind of strange. I'm still (laughs) adjusting to the fact that we we have changed Mm. taping day from Monday to Tuesday. It does make more sense, I guess. Yeah, it does. It does. Monday's always crazy enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how, how how went the weekend for Week-
2: everybody? Well, weekend was good here, man. I uh, had some family come in town.
0: Mm-hmm. I had
2: an uncle come in town. I haven't seen him in, in a while. Yeah. And uh, so he came in Sunday. And, nice. Uh, spent some time with the kids. Actually, well, as soon as he got there, he was just MIA with the kids. Oh really? I, yeah. So <laughs> I really didn't talk to him until yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, the kids wore him out. He wore the kids out, which was kind of nice. That's know.
0: cool. I understand you took him to the Samson
2: meeting. Yes, I did. Yes, we went to the Samson meeting last night. Meeting was good. About thirty guys. Uh, it was a really good meeting, man. It was good. The, the topic was uh, fulfillment. Really. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you know, it was pretty. It was pretty good, man. Well, I, I really wanted to make it to the meeting last
0: night. Why didn't you? Uh, well, I tell you what, I'm, I'm under the gun with this daggone NASCAR book I've got to finish and mm-hmm. uh, other stuff. And I got sick over the weekend. Oh. I mean, really sick. And I don't get sick very often, but yeah. so sick I couldn't work. Oh, okay. Yeah. So come Monday, I had three days of work to do. Yeah. And I just could not wrap it up in time to make it to the meeting last night. Okay. Killed me. Gotcha. It's one of those weekends. How about you, Aaron?
3: Well, Thursday got in a car accident while picking up pizza for the pirate monks.
0: That's a bad Fr- thing.
3: Friday was my anniversary and went on a date because we found a gift certificate we hadn't used. Nice. There you go. Saturday spent nine hours with uh, two couples from the Triple Wide Church, one of whom is an architect and... Contractor who builds wineries. Ooh. So he drove us around for eight hours to wineries I had never heard of or been to, and he had the keys to get in to all the back nooks and crannies and show us their gravitational things. And Holy he al- smokes. He he also builds uh, caves for them to store in the mountains. So we had an amazing second
0: part to our anniversary hangout. Wow! Talk about a, uh, a you know, behind-the-scenes winery tour. Now, did he have a wine thief with him? Did you guys uh, sample the uh, product?
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah, lots of sampling. Mm-hmm. It was good. Each place we went. Uh, my favorite... See, I shouldn't say that. Yeah, nobody listens to this. My favorite <laughs> was... Uh, <laughs> was this place is in a warehouse called Via Creek. Mm-hmm. And their their tasting room was just a metal warehouse. Yeah. And some of the most phenomenal red wine I've ever had in my life.
0: You know, I've been to one of those wineries too in San Luis. It's in a it's I mean it's in a freaking storage facility. And the guy's got a big wow. you know, a monstrous commercial air conditioner that he runs this thing. I don't even want to think of what his what his electric bill is, but apparently it's cheaper than building a winery somewhere. Yeah. And he's got these big casks and uh uh uh, you know, Stephen. Yeah, the one when we went. Yeah,
3: I was with you on that occasion. That was fun.
0: Uh, okay, for some reason, I don't remember a lot about that.
4: Thing. <laughs> <laughs> You're a grandpa now. That's supposed to happen. <laughs>
0: but yeah, and it just astonished me that 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 stuff that good was being uh, created,
2: you know, in, just in the middle of a warehouse yeah. district. Now, Aaron, tell me about the cave. What's the what's the cave about? I've never heard of that. Mm, well, Pirates just, like yeah. caves, yeah.
3: Yeah, <laughs> It's really just using the, your environment instead of, like a way Nate was out. saying, yeah. Yeah. instead of uh, running huge electric bills and all of that, yeah. you just, you know.
0: If you can get underground, car- it's a constant mountain. 56 degrees, right? Underground?
3: Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, yeah, there there's a, a place I went with a friend a few weeks ago that have cave tours, and it's just... Huge oh, caves wow. underground, and it's amazing. So it's going green, kinda. There you are. It, it is going green, which basically means doing it like they did it for thousands of years
0: before. Basically, basically. <laughs> <laughs> the, the new technology of going green, exactly. put it underground.
3: Yeah, yeah. So that was that was my weekend, which I guess was you know my car still drives, and uh, yesterday I beat uh, one of the doors with a hammer until I could get in and out of the driver's side easier, so that
0: seems to be great. Everything's good. Uh, do, you, do you want to give us an accident reconstruction? I assume it could not possibly have been your fault. No, I don't
3: really want to talk about that.
0: Right <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Well, uh, I'm so glad we've got Kyle Rigsby with us. Uh, Mondo, I don't know that you've met Kyle before. Aaron no, has. Aaron's Aaron and Kyle go,
4: go way back. A few years, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, we, Kyle is, uh, well, we'll get to him in a minute. What, a, what an interesting guy. And he's agreed to help us address a topic that I think needs addressing. Mm-hmm. We, we've kicked it around as a subject, and we really haven't opened it up yet on the podcast. So stick around. You're going to want to hear this. We'll be back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Oh, a pirate's
1: life is a wonderful life a roving over the sea Give me a career as a buccaneer
3: It's the life of a pirate for me Oh, the life of a pirate for me Well, welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. I think it is time for the mini-meeting. So, uh,
0: Nate, have you brought this up on your computer? I, I have, I have. I've got the standard suggested meeting format right before me here, Mm. downloaded from SamsonSociety.org for free. Well, (laughs) Kick us off. Okay, here it is. Uh, Welcome to this mini-meeting of the Samson Society. We are a company of Christian men. We're also natural loners who have recognized the dangers of isolation and are determined to escape them. Natural wanderers who are finding spiritual (laughs) peace and prosperity at home. Natural liars who are now finding freedom in the truth, natural judges who are learning how to judge ourselves are right, and natural strongmen who are experiencing God's strength as we admit our weaknesses. As Christians, we meet at other times for worship, for teaching, or for corporate prayer. Today, however, we meet to talk. Our purpose is to assist one another in our common journey. We do so by sharing honestly out of our own personal experience the challenges and encouragements of daily Christian living in a fallen world. Uh, We've now reached the sharing portion of our meeting. In sharing, we speak honestly out of our own experience. We tell the truth about ourselves, knowing that our brothers will listen to us in love and will hold whatever we say in
1: strictest strictest confidence.
0: Uh, We try to keep our comments brief, taking care to leave plenty of time for others. We address our statements to the group as a whole, rather than directing them toward any one person. As a rule, we refrain from giving advice to others or instructing them during the meeting, believing that such conversations are best reserved for private moments between friends. The suggested topic today is hmm, memory. Memory. Uh, But we are not uh, confined to that subject. You may speak about any topic that is currently commanding your attention, the floor is open. All right. <clears throat> Don't everybody jump at once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm Nate. Hey, Nate. hey, Nate. I'll jump in on the topic before I forget what it was. Uh... Memory. Memory, yeah. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm suffering. It's, it's part of aging, and I hate to admit it, but I'm getting older at an accelerating rate. And part of the aging process is a decline in memory. And I used to have a great short-term memory, just phenomenal. It's how I really got through school. Uh, you know, that last-minute uh, cruise through the notes, you know, memorize all the important dates and names, spit them out flawlessly, and they were gone within 48 hours. But I knew them for that brief period of time. And I also was pretty good with names and faces, which was important during my acting out years as an addict. Uh, people really felt you knew them and cared about them if you remembered their name and a little bit of the details from the last conversation. I really didn't get involved very much in uh, the lives of very many people but I had some hooks, uh, some some things that I could reference when I ran into them and it was part of that that, you know, that arm-slapping, you know, friendly uh, persona that I developed, you know, that gave me a thousand friends who didn't know me. Um, But at the same time, you know, part of addiction, a big part of addiction is uh, a very active forgetter. And I've got to tell you, I have, even in those years, I could remember things that I wanted to remember, and I was very good at forgetting things that it was inconvenient to remember. Um, I, I, I somehow I, I, I lost track of the consequences of my behavior. I couldn't remember how uh, you know, going to a strip club made me feel. N- not while I was there, but when I left. Um, or any of the other crazy, you know, insane things that I did throughout those years, if I'd have stopped for a minute to think it through, you know, what did this course of action bring me the last hundred times I did it? You know, (laughs) why would I have done it again? But I would just forget that. So real good at forgetting the consequences of my behavior, um Also because I was not present in my own life really not present with uh, my wife and kids most of the time um, a lot of the you know priceless memories that I should have from the years from the from the from the times that we should have had together as a family I just don't remember I rely on photographs. I rely on the memories of others. But the fact is, because I was not fully engaged in my life for so many years, because I, I was, um, you know, to use New Testament terms, walking by the flesh, not by the Spirit, and therefore not present in my own life, living in a disassociated state most of the time. Um, I, I just can't recall entire years of my life. Uh, and that's a sad thing. I wish I had a richer archive of memories of my, uh, my life with my wife and my kids. Uh, we're building memories now, and, um, and that's a wonderful thing. Uh, you know, memory requires a- a- attention, and attention requires presence. And uh, I'm grateful that one of the great gifts of recovery is that um, I am learning to be more present in my life, emotionally, intellectually, as well as physically. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. I used to, you know, back in the years of active addiction, I'd be only half-listening to anything that Allie was saying. At best, half-listening. But I had this kind of short-term recorder running all the time, where I could always spit back to her the last two sentences she had said.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: so she'd go, "You're not listening to me," and I could, and then I could repeat the last two sentences. Um, but you know, recording on a conscious level that she was what she was saying, and actually listening to her are two entirely different things. She knew it. Um, I didn't want to face it. So, um, anyway, uh, one of my great uh, regrets right now is that, um, you know, that sharp memory that I used to have is rapidly deserting me. And uh, although it's a bit of a blessing because a lot of guys unload to me the the stories of their acting out; they need somebody to talk to. And for a lot of guys, I do a lot of intake at Samson Society. A lot of guys who come in for the first time, and they, because they've heard my story, they feel safe enough to tell me theirs. And uh, I just got to tell you guys: uh, if you tell me your story, the odds that I'm going to remember it a month from now <laughs> are pretty slim. Uh, I'll be there with you while you're telling it to me. Uh, maybe I can remember some of the highlights but the details I just don't have the equipment to remember it anymore and maybe that's a good quality for a confessor I don't know anyway that's me on memory thanks Nick so I'm I'm Aaron.
1: Hey, Aaron hey Aaron uh
3: I I had some stuff happen in the last couple of weeks that really triggered some some memories that had a lot of scar tissue mm. uh, revolving around ministry. And I've really been noticing and I've been realizing that with memories, I kind of go back to whatever judgment I had when it happened, and that's where it sticks with the memory. So it's not just the, the memory of an event, but how I judged it to be hurtful, and the situation and the people and stuff like that. So... I'm really seeing how letting the gospel be a part of a changing narrative and stuff that's already happened is just as important to my heart as letting the gospel shape the story that I'm living in right now. And I don't think I've always thought about that. I just let the memories be what it is. They feel justified in whatever state they're in, whatever state they started in. I don't know if that makes sense. So I'll carry that memory of that hurt or that situation, and it just never changes. So no matter how I am, I can face it and and say, well, I'm I'm more mature now in these ways, and I can deal with that. But the memory itself never matures. Mm. And so I I feel kind of hopeful, but it's hard because I feel like it's a time where I'm going back and reopening some memories and trying to let the hope and the gospel go in and reinterpret it a little bit, that maybe I wasn't right in how I saw it, maybe my judgments weren't right. And I've just never considered that, so it's a pretty strange process. But I'm really hoping that it'll start to change things, that I'm waiting for present maturity to just deal with better into something that's actually uh, a little more whole and healed. And uh, I think that's a big part of what the gospel is about. So that's all I have to say about memories.
0: Thanks, Aaron. Thanks, Thanks Aaron. Aaron.
4: I'm Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Hey, Kyle. Uh, Nate, it's so weird that you picked that topic. Um, I just spent the entire last weekend in Atlanta um, at a training... For a new therapy, well, it's not a new therapeutic technique, but um, it's becoming more and more popular. It's called EMDR, and it's it's based on how memories are stored. Mm. And um, I learned more about memory this weekend than I have in in, you know the three years of grad school I took. But um, it's amazing how I can look back at you know my story and my life. And and see where I had selected memory. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I wanted to forget certain things. I didn't want to deal with certain things. So I would just act like they didn't happen and try and forget. And um, so it's it's just it's really interesting you picked this topic today. Um, You know, memory for me and my story is is forgetting about um, really really poor decisions and. in relationships um, you know going through a divorce um, making some really horrible decisions after the divorce and parts of my life that I would love to forget Um, and and you know what I'm learning as a a, a therapist and as as you know someone who's you know now um, been through a training on how to really handle those memories I'm learning that actually um, putting those memories in in their proper context and storing them in a way that um, is stored healthily and not um, repressed is is huge for me. And, um, you know, I've been able to take things that memories from, you know, 20 Mm -hmm. plus years ago Mm -hmm. that have basically haunted me my entire adult life Mm. Um, and I've been able to finally take these things and and appropriately deal with those and I can't tell you the amount of healing I've had because of that and um, you know I'm I find myself a lot like you Nate in the sense that I have I feel like my memory bank is like completely full if not running over and um, I have several guys that I walk with and it's it's hard, it's hard to remember you know, details about about um, everybody and everything and um, so you know, memory for me is um, has changed a lot in the last several months um, um, and especially after this weekend and um, you know I'm, I'm learning what I've learned for me and what, what helps me is to take an honest look at my story at the decisions I've made um, and not only remember what I did but how it did affect me Um, and be okay with whatever comes up there Um, you know if it's shame it's shame if it's anger it's anger if it's sadness it's sadness Um, and to you know do what I can to appropriately Put those in context. Understand they're in the past, and and do what I need to do to move on from them, and and you know be healthier in the future. And um, I'm just I'm real thankful for um, for the beginning of this journey. And the beginning of this journey for me was Samson, mm-hmm. and that was five plus years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I I can't even imagine my life without you know having having been through the Samson experience and then, you know, doing some other things, um, you know, outside of that too, and the relationships I've made and, um, that I have and, and the friendships I've made and just the, the amount of, of guys in my life who care about me enough to even listen to some of these memories and tell me the truth about them, mm-hmm. um, you know, and helping me to understand that, you know, those are, those were symptoms of a bigger problem and that, you know, I am forgiven. I am loved. I am all these things that, that God wants me to know. So um, that's that's what comes up when I think about memory. Ooh, I'm Kyle.
2: Thanks, Kyle. Thanks, Kyle. <coughs> Armando. Hey, Mondo. i, Mando. Hey, Mando. I was looking around for somebody else to go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, memory has struck me two different ways. Um, on the positive side, I enjoy memories. I, I, I enjoy... Uh, seeing God at work in people's lives, how memories are connected to to enrich, influence, uh, uh, stimulate growth in people throughout their lives. I, I enjoy it uh, mm-hmm. t- to see the the path that people are on. Um, you know that that puzzle that's put together over time. I love seeing it assembled uh, and, and people being able to interpret their memories. Mm. Love it, even in my own life. Mm-hmm. There's a flip side, though, in my own life where um, I enjoy memories so much, and even in my own life, I enjoy the great memories, even those that were challenging uh, and tough, because I see, I can directly see how it shaped and molded me. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that I that I, I'm challenged with is the memories that I have and my of myself and stories that I remember and things that I've done that shaped me. Uh, Sometimes don't align with others who have memories of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, even when you're told you totally own your crap, you move forward, you dump the truth, own the truth, live in it, move forward. But for some reason, that old memory, other people still hold on to.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that's how. They shape the future memories that are created. Mm-hmm. I struggle deeply with that um, because you feel you feel cheated, like you are not given a chance for true redemption. Mm-hmm. Uh, you are not given a chance to um, for for those you what you would think would be proud that you owned it, mm-hmm. that you are you are on a great path now, and then you realize they don't give a damn.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. that's a blow Mm -hmm. Um, so you know it's again you know me enjoying memories so much of my life and others challenging and otherwise Mm -hmm. uh, but then having that little side compartment Mm -hmm. of those memories that others have of you Mm -hmm. even in light of you owning it Mm -hmm. even in light of you facing it Still want to stick on that last memory they have of you, and that defines who you are to them for the rest of your natural life. Mm. That's tough, man. Mm. You know, um, it's sad, uh, but at the same time, what it does for me is when I sit with brothers or whomever, it allows me to extend that grace that I that I was not given. Um, so instead of being bitter about it, I really try to really channel it into extend something that wasn't extended to me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, okay, yeah, I understand, brother, you did that. Yeah, I understand all those memories. What got you to here? However, what's next? Mm-hmm. Versus, I understand how you got here. You suck. You're terrible. Get the hell away from me. Mm-hmm. And that's who you are the rest of your life. Is that person? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it's, it's a struggle for me, you yeah. know. So I, tr- I try to I try to channel it in a positive direction versus bitterness or anything else, mm-hmm. um, but just in a positive direction, and, uh, and maybe that, you know, I can be different. Mm-hmm. Maybe that was an example of how not to be, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, so I'm on to. Thanks, Mondo. Thanks, Manda.
0: And we'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast.
5: Heard, heard by the pain and starting over Picking up pieces on our road. And burned, burned by the system we are under giving up is all we've ever known. Hope is a word left undefined. When dreams get pushed aside, we are all wounded so just Trying to get back on our feet, don't even know the war is over. Still searching for relief. When are we gonna open?
0: All right, and we are back with our guest, uh, Kyle Rigsby. Thank you so much for joining us, Kyle. Absolutely, Nate. Uh, who, I think the first time I ever met you was uh, an evening I went to speak at Honor Creek Church in Brentwood. Was that the first time we crossed paths? Right? Yeah,
4: we met that night, and um, a buddy of mine that had been to Samson at, at Christ Community, um, he's... he. Connected those dots for me, and yeah. and, um, and took me to a Samson meeting. Yeah, shortly thereafter. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, my memories of, of you are, you know, a guy who came in, checked it out, made a decision fairly quickly, and jumped in with both feet.
4: Yeah, I have to say the, you know, um, my buddy Brandon, who took me to the meeting, he told me nothing about it. <laughs>
1: <all>. <laughs> well, and, I love
4: um, it. Love it. You know, I walk in and um, I'm in a circle with guys, which is not, not a big deal. And then it started, and I'm, I just kind of look at Brandon. And I'm like, "What the hell have you taken me into?" <laughs> but um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a level of you know authenticity that um, I had never seen. Um, you know, I didn't see it modeled um, growing up. I didn't have it myself in my own life. And I was in a that was that was um, probably about two years after I went through my divorce, and mm-hmm. so I was I was a wreck. I needed mm-hmm. it so bad, mm-hmm. and I once I figured out just a, even a little bit about it, it was it was like yeah, you need this. Yeah, yeah.
0: Well, let's back up. Uh, let's uh, let's tell the listeners a little bit about your story. Okay. About uh, about growing up, about where you found your identity and. Uh, where that took you and the disappointments that you hit along the way.
4: Yeah, um, I'm, I'm local. I grew up in Nashville. Um, you know, growing up, I was, I was uh, loved, loved, loved baseball. That's all I did. Uh, I was, you know, I was that guy. I was the baseball guy. Mm-hmm. And uh, I played every chance I could. Uh, I played in uh, high school, college. I played a year um, professionally before I got hurt and then I coached college baseball for five years after that
5: Mm -hmm.
4: so into into my late 20s um, I was the baseball guy and um, you know that was pretty much all I cared about Um, you know I don't know where that passion and love came from but it just it it was what it was and I went with it and loved every second of it Um, and my dad really encouraged me in that Um, he didn't. He encouraged me. He did not push me, which was really great. Um, you know, I, I can remember, you know, days him coming home from work, and like I'm at the door ready because yeah. I've got. He always sat on this big five gallon bucket mm-hmm. in the driveway, and I would just I would pitch, oh. and I would. And it was every day that we could. It was awesome. Um, I got great memories of that. Um, but you know, when I when I Realized at like 27 that um, basically it hit me at that point that for a long time baseball had been my idol. Yeah. And that, you know, God did not make it easy for me those last couple of years to continue coaching. And it was finally just this point of, okay, I get it. I get it. I'm going to walk away. And um, I went through a good, 10 to 12 months of, you know, it was an identity crisis. I mean, I was like, I don't even know who else to be. I don't know how else to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it took me a long time to figure that out. Um, started teaching. Um, I've been teaching elementary school now, and this coming year will be my 15th year. Um, I love kids. Um, it's, it's been a great experience most of the time. Um, you know, and I've... Um, you know, that's another way I've identified myself. I'm the teacher, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I got married, um, in 2002 and by October of 2003, uh, we were divorced and, you know, that created an entirely different identity crisis because, you know, at that point I was telling myself all manner of stories about, you know, who I was and who I was not. And, um, I can't think of anything that was even remotely redeeming about the stuff I was telling myself. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, um, it was all destructive mm-hmm. and, um, I made a lot of bad decisions in the two or three years after that, just, um, you know, acting out, um, you know, uh, sexually and just, um, and honestly didn't care. Yeah. I didn't care. And, um, I was extremely depressed, um, and that all started to change, um, around the time, well, after I started, you know, going to Samson meetings and Mm -hmm. and finally feeling safe enough to, you know, talk about my story and, you know, confess the things that I had done and, um, and to be accepted and cared about anyway and that's that was a completely foreign concept to me because you know growing up in my house it was perform or pay the price and um, you know to not have to perform yeah and get that acceptance anyway for me was absolutely huge yeah Um, you know it had been something that um, I've been missing my entire life and I think my I was 35 when I came to Samson Um, first came to Samson and, um, you know, that, that was just a very... It was the beginning of an extremely, what I would consider, a long road of healing. And that's still... That's I'm still on. Um, I don't think I'm ever going to be fully there, and that's okay. But um, it's it was the beginning of a journey of um, owning my crap. Yeah. Um, being honest, really, for the first time in my life. Actually having having and seeking other men in my life who will um who will know everything about me and not care yeah. and yeah. um not judge me and walk with me through it that i can call any, any any given moment and say hey man i'm really wanting to you know look at porn right now or yeah whatever it is and and um and to have You know, someone on the other end of that line look at, or not look at me, but I could picture them looking at me, saying things like, "Okay, number one, don't do it. Number two, you know, work it out, talk it out. What's going on? What's behind this? What's, you know, um, and really helping me understand more of um, about the behavior itself, and then about what was behind it. So, that's that's a lot of my experience uh, with Samson, and um, it's been it's been amazing.
0: Yeah, you know, one thing that's always impressed me about you, Kyle, is, uh, first of all, uh, maybe it helped that you played team sports all those years, but you somehow naturally connected the idea that following Jesus is a team sport.
4: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, and you, you had an ability, which not every guy has coming in, um, to, to recognize that you needed a team, to be a team player, Uh, to listen and contribute Um, and uh, you formed relationships early in Samson and you gave as much as you took Uh, and very very quickly it became apparent to me that Kyle was was a wounded healer Um, and that uh, and I know from my own experience that a big part of my healing has come and continues to come through my willingness to participate in the healing of others and uh, to continue to show my wounds and to not have to be the perfect guy. And uh, you you did that uh, from, from from your earliest days in Samson. Now, you and some of the guys you were closest to were... Uh, drawn early into a uh, uh, male initiation weekend, uh, followed by integration group, something called New Adam. I was a part of the first New Adam weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that really, I'm, I'm fascinated by you uh, and, and the New Adam work about male initiation because I, I'm wondering how it connects with your, what has been your day job for, for 15 years now. Teaching kids. Uh, Because on these intense weekends, and we're not going to disclose very much about the weekends, all I will say about them is that um, you're helping guys face their story.
4: Yeah.
0: Uh, And it means a walk back into childhood.
4: Most of the time, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, And I'm wondering, as you watch a guy, uh, yeah, most, not always, but. As you watch a guy face childhood, and we're back here to the subject of memory, mm-hmm. uh, and then you go back to school on Monday, and you look at that kid, and, you, and you, you ha- I wonder, do you sometimes run the reel ahead and think, oh, yeah, man, if he, if he or she doesn't deal with this today, I know where they're going to be at age 30, 35, or 40.
4: Yeah. I know how big this is. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, watching guys go back to, you know, early, early ages. I've seen, um, I've seen men uh, need to do, you know, work around something that happened when they were six or seven years old Mm -hmm. that they've been carrying for 30 or 40 years. Right. And um, and it's, it's heartbreaking. It's gut-wrenching. And it's, it just sucks. I don't know how else to say it, but. Um, you're right. I do um, and have mostly with the boys that I teach. Um, I, don't, I don't so much with the girls, but, I mean, with the boys, I can look at, look at certain boys um, and see who's – you can tell all about their parents, basically, by just looking at them mm-hmm. and watching them. Mm-hmm. And you can see, for the most part, um, how they're being disciplined at home or whether they're not being disciplined at home. Um, how much you know love and affection and care they're given um, and yeah I can I do I run the tape forward I fast forward in my head and I'm like and there's some kids it's gonna be like you're gonna be a very w- successful well-adjusted human being in about 20 years you're mm-hmm. gonna be good to go and then I see this other completely opposite you know population of boys who don't have a dad at home yeah um have absolutely no one in their life to show them and tell them and teach them how to be a man. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't want to sit here and, you know, mentally damn them to some sort of, um, you know, horrific life ahead. But, I mean, you, you really can, I mean, I really can see, um, you know, where where the road is going, for, at least where it's starting for them. Yeah. And it's it's just it's sad, man. Yeah. It is so sad.
0: And that's where things like Samson and New Adam mm-hmm. are so crucially important because yeah. we're able to to pluck those guys off that road, yeah, and send them in a new direction.
4: Well, you and I have talked about this yeah. um, a little bit, and um, you know, for me, the word is refathering.
0: Yeah, yeah. And that's yeah.
4: what we do with each other in Samson. That's yeah. what we do in New Adam as well. And and we're basically um, we have that father hunger of um, somebody teach me this. Yeah, I need to be told how to do this. Yeah, whatever that this is for you, I mean, it could be anything. But um, you know, um, refathering is the way I look at Samson, the way I look at New Adam, um, some of my male clients, in, in, um, in the therapeutic setting. I mean, it's that's what they're hungry for. and, yeah. and you know, you're like it or not. For the most part, you're a product of your environment. And if you didn't have it, you don't. You don't ever. It takes a long time to get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, we
0: go ahead, we, go ahead, we, Aaron.
3: We we promised the topic, and I was wondering if we should make that shift. If that's a good transition. Yeah, point.
0: we are. We're gonna we're gonna so, we're gonna make the jump here in a second. <clears throat> in fact, we'll do it right after this. We'll be back in just a moment on the Pirate Monk podcast.
1: Take these tears, this throbbing pain, these grinding fears, this darkest stain, and make it go.
0: Okay, and we're back with Kyle Rigsby. Now, uh, Kyle, you're making another transition now. Yeah. You finished graduate school. Uh, you finished your work under supervision. Uh, and you are now uh, a, a licensed therapist.
4: Not licensed yet. No, okay. I'm, still, I'm still under my postmaster's hours, but... Um, okay. Um, yeah, I'm transitioning, hopefully, one day soon to go from full-time teaching to... Full-time counseling. I have a practice in Brentwood. I'm in with a group of um, private practitioners and uh, call the Center for Relational Healing. Uh, a lot of great counselors in there. There's five of us um, dealing with. Well, you, you pretty much cover, run the gamut of of what's you know, what people
1: are in
0: And so about half your work is with adolescents or children, and about half your work with adults. All right, well, here is the topic that uh, I've been dying to get somebody to tackle. And because I know you, and because I know you're a nice guy, and I figured you probably wouldn't turn me down, I asked (laughs) (laughs) if I could get you to talk with us today on the subject of rage. Uh, I, you know, as we, we do this kind of informal survey of the members uh, of the Samson Society mm-hmm. we ask guys when they join uh, to tell us confidentially just so that we can create support materials Rob, uh, Rob Brown is responsible for doing this he did such a great job setting it up um, we ask people tell us a little bit about what you struggle with now uh, sexual stuff is at the top of the list but v- near the top of the list and I notice this very, very often in Samson meetings. What guys are really battling, and what is most destructive in their lives and in their relationships, is a problem with rage. <coughs> um, you know, and, and you know this anger. I know rage is not really anger, but it feels like anger. This thing that gets out of control and they find themselves doing and saying destructive right. things, and, uh, and they feel helpless in the face of it. Uh, what can you tell us about, about rage, about the roots of rage, about where it goes, about what's helpful in dealing with it?
4: Well, uh, you know, um, what, the way I look at it, you know, rage is um, anger coming out sideways. Yeah. Um, and it's an intense anger um you know basically um what's what's interesting is that someone who who goes through a fit of rage whether it you know lasts five minutes an hour whatever it is i mean they're actually getting a physical response it's a lot like um you know the 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 rush a runner gets Mm -hmm. after they run A pretty good while. Yeah, it's that runner's high. Uh, It could be the way an alcoholic or a drug addict feels when they get that fix. Right, right. Um, And and it's the same. It's it's a very similar chemical bodily response that they get when they get to that place of rage. Yeah. Uh, The adrenaline's pumping. um, For whatever reason, it it feels good to them. Mm hmm Um. So you know, in in a really strange way, it's almost addictive. I mean, it's. It can be addictive, and, right. and they're just like Alcoholics Anonymous or SA or NA or whatever it is. There's an RA. There's a Rageaholics Anonymous. Is and,
0: there really?
4: Absolutely. And um, um, there's you know just Google RA on the on the on the net, and you'll uh-huh. a lot of great resources there too. By the way, um, but um, now that's a good piece of information. Yeah. All right, um, but once that you know the I liken it to this: It's like you know, if, if an alcoholic is sober, let's say for a month, mm-hmm. if they even take a sip of anything, yeah, right, right. they're done. I mean, right. they're, they're right, going right. to go right. They got about, no brakes, they're off. Right, right. You know, the wheels are coming off. The and same then,
0: thing is is true. I've heard of people with a sexual addiction. You think? Yeah.
3: <laughs> so
1: not so quite how, sure. How, how,
0: but how does the person who has
3: uh, accepted that? rage is an outlet and they've done it it's been habitualized uh the hard part is i mean with an alcoholic let's avoid places where alcohol is and that'll help but man with a rageaholic it's stemming from relationships so right
4: so how how do they start to reprogram or get on a different track in their own head well you know the first You know, the first thing I would say to that, Aaron, is um, they first need to recognize, like any other addiction, that they've got a problem. They Mm -hmm. have to actually own, yes, I have a problem with rage. And if you can own that and you know you do it, and you're right, this this comes out relationally with either spouses, other family members, friends, whatever it is, or at work a lot of times. Um, At the post office. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, basically, if you can own that problem... And you enlist the people that you're around to um, help you understand that you're in that place because most people that go to rage don't even really understand that that's where they are. Uh, they don't understand that they're yelling, they don't understand that they're intimidating other people. Um, so, if you, when you're not in a rage state, and if you understand that you struggle with that, you know, if, if, if I were married I would and I was the one dealing with rage I would have to tell my wife that I need your help here I need you to tell me when I'm doing this or doing this or saying this and it's almost uh, just it's it's behavior modification it's it's um, an understanding the triggers it's understanding you know the actual things that you do mm-hmm. when you go to that place, and and that's the best way to deal with it outside of therapy, um, is is to have um, is to have the people in your life and enlist people to help you understand, um, you know what it is that you actually do when you go there. Um, you know part of this too is you know a real honest self evaluation of. Um, you know understanding what rage is all about I mean there's you know we talked about this just a second ago about self-stimulation you know you find out that the more you express your anger the more you fly into a rage and it's stimulating that chemical response in your body and um, mm-hmm. there's a compulsivity part of this too and um, you know if you compulsively pursue the feeling of, of power that's associated with rage um, and which makes you act out your anger, and you basically don't care about what happens after the fact. The consequences really don't, don't, don't matter answer. to you. You right. just don't, you don't care. Um, you know, um, there's people. There are people who are absolutely that can be obsessed with um, going to rage because it gives them either some sort of a hero complex like look at me I'm fighting against this and they may think they're raging against something that's inappropriate and therefore their rage is justified and they think of themselves as a hero um, people do that um, and you know if, if if I'm walking around and I am just completely consumed and preoccupied with feelings of resentment towards someone mm-hmm. um, or if I have any kind of fantasies about getting revenge, I'm in trouble. Um, mm-hmm. That's that's a big problem. And like with any other addiction, um, and I'm not saying everybody who goes through a fit of rage is an addict, so don't hear that, but um, it, it, it's a lot like an addiction in the sense that denial is huge in people who rage. They just don't think that they do it. Um, you know, I, I would venture even to say that if you videoed them in a fit of rage they might not think that they're raging um, they, f- they find a way to justify their anger basically well, can, we, can
3: we pause on that for a second sure because you're saying not everyone that rages <clears throat> is an addict and so I guess here's the question for the guy that's listening mm-hmm. um, they might think okay I get really angry but only this uh, at these points it's not that often so A is a self-assessment what what would constitute? No, this really a problem. And the other is, what if they say, "Well, I don't uh, rage at my wife or my kids; it's only at this relationship or this situation." So obviously, it's not. Uh, I'm not a rageaholic, or else I would do it
4: everywhere in my life,
3: right? Well, so those would be a those would be a couple questions.
4: Yeah. Um, well, I'll start with your second question first. Um, it's, it's tough to, since, this is the, since there's no actual product involved, you know, like mm-hmm. with alcohol or drugs or pornography, there's a, there's a physical presence of something that you're addicted to. This is more internalized mm-hmm. and is not seen until it comes out, um, and it's coming out inappropriately. Um, so, you know, um, I get what you're saying about, well, if I did it here, I would, if I were an, a- an addict, I would do it everywhere. And that's not necessarily the case. Um, Understanding rage is about understanding your triggers. And, you know, your wife may not trigger you, but your boss might. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, it's interesting, Nate, chose the topic of memory. You know, a lot of this is learned. And, um, you know, if if you've been under an example your entire life, especially if you've seen it, you know, in your developmental years as a kid, if you've seen rage and you think it's normal, then why wouldn't you do it, you know? Um, that may be how you've learned how to uh, treat women or uh, treat kids or whatever it is. Um, can you repeat your first
3: question? Yeah, so so the answer to that question for the guy that's listening, it doesn't have to be across your whole life to still no. be an issue. <coughs> right. the, the first question was... Um, how often, because I, I suppose everybody loses their temper from time to time.
4: Right. But just so because you lose I, your temper doesn't mean you're in rage either. Okay. So, for
3: uh, I, I'm just trying to get some answers for some self assessment. Right. For all of us who are listening. So, what would constitute, yeah, this is a rage problem. It's happening this
4: often in this way. I need to address it a little more seriously in my life. Okay. Um, here, I've I've written down a few things here about um, how to self-evaluate. Uh, and we've talked about a couple of these. Um, if you find out, if you can look at yourself honestly and see that the more you express your anger, the more you fly into a rage, that's mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. And, and that's mm-hmm. the self-stimulation piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're compulsively pursuing the feelings of power uh, associated with acting out your anger and you don't care about resulting consequences, that's that's another sign. That's another way to say, okay, I do that. So check that one off. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, loss of control. Um, if you find yourself, you know, not being able to stop the anger you're in and it just perpetuates and keeps going and going and going and it never really comes down and resolves, that's another one. Uh, we've talked about obsessing over it, about if you're preoccupied with resentment or fantasies of revenge, that's another one. Um, you know, and denial is one, is another way to, you know, are you really. Being honest about this, Um, you know, um, you people who uh, who really really struggle with rage even have um, withdrawal effects and cravings for it. It's like they're looking for a fight. They may go a month without going into a rage, Mm
1: -hmm.
4: but it could cause them to be depressed. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: It could cause them to, you know, need a fix, so to speak, and they look for things that could piss them off and, and let them go off. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and if you found yourself, you know, over a period of time where you're pretty, you know, your anxiety level is pretty low and you're finding yourself depressed or you're thinking about, um, you know, some situation that you could create to where you could get some anger out, then that's a problem as well. And, you know, if you're around, I mean, like you said earlier, Aaron, you know, rage is more relational than anything. And, um, you know, if the person you're in relationship with, whether it's a spouse or a boss or a child or whoever, family member, if if they're afraid of your anger, if they're afraid to tell you something um, because they're not sure how you're going to react, that unpredictability yeah. about, you know, is he just going to be angry or is he going to throw something again? Mm-hmm. Uh, if there's that unpredictability about your anger and how it manifests and how it comes out, then... That's another, you know, notch in the belt of being, a, you know, someone who rages. Um, all of those things yeah. are ways to look, take a look at yourself, and yeah. and see, you know, do I do this? Do I do this? And um, so that's that's a way to take an honest look at yourself and and, um, and determine whether or not, you know, that's where you go.
0: You know, it it really strikes me as you talk about, you know, honest self-assessment, about dealing with resentment, uh, how much of this uh, reparative therapeutic work is just a natural part of the path or the 12 steps Mm -hmm. or these spiritual uh, journeys that we go on. Um, I know there's also very often... uh, uh, Real help that can be gained by targeted therapy with with an intuitive therapist um, who can get to the heart of the matter, which often is connected to a memory. Uh, My my own, and, and I'm not a trained professional, I don't even play one on television, but kind of my working hypothesis is that usually behind rage is fear of some kind. Yeah, it's... A fear of abandonment, a fear of being, uh, you know, overpowered or uh, controlled, uh, and it's a way to assert control uh, and and kind of banish
4: the fear for a while. Mm-hmm. Everything you said is completely dead on.
0: Yeah. Um, so finding another way to deal with that fear, to get at it to see it for what it is, to reinterpret it, uh, to go back to what Aaron was saying early on during the mini-meeting, to examine the judgments that you made mm-hmm. about that you know, key experience all those years ago, and maybe even using something like the tool of EMDR mm-hmm.
4: to uh, restore the memory in a better place. Yeah, make it more adaptive. That's the whole point of EMDR is to take a memory that... Um, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma, yeah, take that memory and reprocess it yeah. appropriately. Yeah. So um, the coping skills that you would normally have if you processed it yeah. in, a, in a healthy way would be able to kick in and you would be able to um, manage yeah. better.
0: You know, it's easy to demonize the rageaholic, the mm-hmm. person who does damage physically and emotionally and verbally to other people when they're in a state. Uh, but I, I really, because I know so many good rageaholics, <laughs> I mean, I love these guys, and they're wonderful when they're not raging.
4: Yeah, they can be completely, you know, just because they experience a bout of rage um, doesn't make them less loving. It doesn't make them less, um, doesn't make them necessarily less present in their marriage or fatherhood. It doesn't make them, I mean, they can be a completely, yeah. relatively yeah. normal human being, Um what, the, what they tend to do if they're not in
0: recovery and treatment is they tend to minimize the effect right. of what they're doing. And right. they don't see how much damage they're doing. They might be killing the marriage. They might be destroying the kids. They might be uh, subverting their own career. And they just don't see it.
4: Yeah, and there are men who are – there are people who rage. I said men, but women do this too. Yeah. Um, they literally, you know, after they have the outburst, mm-hmm. you know, some – at some time later, whether it's a few minutes later, or hours later, or days later, they don't even remember what they did or said. Yeah, it's yeah. like they have got amnesia. Yeah, they yeah. honestly, don't could not tell you what happened. Yeah.
0: Um, mm-hmm. I well, have let's... I have come to believe that most of those people they look larger than life. They look intimidating when they're in a rage state, mm-hmm. but they really are emotionally fragile, which is why they're raging. Mm-hmm. Uh. You know, that old saying that hurt people hurt people, mm-hmm. I think, is is truer of a rageaholic than, than of anybody else. And so, well, so it's sometimes hard to love the rageaholic, and sometimes it's hard to love yourself if rage is what you're struggling with. Yeah. But God's love. Oh, absolutely. Extends to every person who struggles with rage. I'm sorry, Aaron, go ahead.
3: Well, no, I, I think that's huge for the guys that are listening that this is touching on them what well, you just said is huge and as we're running out of time I want to make sure that you know we've got some self assessment tools and that encouragement that you just said that they are, this doesn't mean they're not normal loving right. people, it just means they have this thing in their life so uh, Kyle you've already said one step is to bring the people in their life into it to let them know when they're going there so that's one thing they can do go to the RA website and get some sources or resources. If they need to, that there are probably meetings, uh, but that's going to be hard for a lot of guys, I'm sure, to take that step. So those are three things. What are some other things we can throw out for these guys to take a step into dealing with
4: this? Well, there are, um, you know, like we talked about, there are ways that could be um, preventative in nature that um, might keep the person from actually going into rage, um, first of all, I want to say that, um, you know, rage, no matter how you slice it, is abuse. Mm
1: -hmm.
4: You know, anger is an emotion. Rage is an action. So, um, you know, if you're raging against your wife and you punch a door because you're so angry, you have, at that point, emotionally abused her because now she's likely afraid of you. Mm -hmm. Um, So... There are a a lot of different ways to, after you self-evaluate or go to counseling or whatever it is, um, you know, the best way to prevent um, an outburst is, it's almost, it's basically like telling an alcoholic, okay, you can't drink anymore. You just can't. You cannot drink anymore. And whatever you've got to do to not take that sip, then don't, then do it. Don't, don't, whatever you do, do not take a sip. And, um... There are a lot of things that people can do instead. And one of the first ones, as we've talked about a little bit, is, is just taking responsibility. A lot of times when people go into rage, they want to blame everybody else mm-hmm. for making them mad. Um, and while some of that may be, you know... Uh, justified. Justified and true that somebody did something to anger them, rage is never justified. Um, so being able to take responsibility for their rage and, and own it and um, stop blaming other people for making you that way is, 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 a big step. And, you know, another thing to do would be like, uh, on a scale of uh, zero to 10, you know, when you're starting to get into that, into that rage, you know, um, give it a number. How intense is it? Mm-hmm. And if it's a five or above, you got to get the heck out of there. you got to get away from whatever it is that you're getting triggered about. Mm-hmm. Um, and this one sounds really, um, almost too simple but um, another thing you can do to prevent an outburst is just stop talking. Mm-hmm. Just don't talk. Mm-hmm. Don't say anything. Um, you know, walking away is something else to do. Uh, it's, you know, it's like almost putting yourself in time out if you want yeah, to look at yeah, it as yeah. far as, a, you know, <laughs> yeah. in a kid, kid terms. Um, you know, if um, interrupting people in the middle of interrupting the person that you're arguing with or whatever the situation is i mean the more you interrupt the more the further you want to go so actually stopping and listening or removing yourself from the situation is something you can do to prevent an outburst um you know things things that are more body language that needs to be curtailed would be and stopped would be staring or glaring at people um you know cursing name calling um Threatening, whether that's, um, you know, a statement of I'm going to knock your head off or I'm going to kill you or I'm, or if you punch something or throw something, that's, you know, that's threatening too. Um, and it plays into what that does is it plays into other people's insecurities and it es- ends up escalating the problem in and of itself. Um, you know, pointing at people, yelling at people, using sarcasm, you know, trying to humiliate somebody. These are all things that people who deal with rage at some point in their rage do um you know throwing things putting your hands on people when you're angry big no no can't do it and and the I, when i was you know reading up on on some of these you know the person who wrote this particular article um said that um think of it this way if you touch someone in any way out of anger you've just committed a crime you could go to jail mm. and um so the aggressive, you know, touching has to stop. Um, we talked about hero stories earlier. You know, eye-rolling is another thing, almost like pointing or yelling or name-calling. It's just it, all it does is intensify what's going on. Um, criticizing someone else, if you find yourself, you know, in a rage and you're starting to criticize and call them all manner of names and making judgments about their character and things like that, that's a, that's another, another thing to walk away from. And... You know, one of the things that um, you know to um, prevent an outburst, which is again sounds really, really simple, is don't go for a drive in the car. Mm-hmm. A lot of people get angry and they just want to go for a drive and cool off. Yeah. Well, you may as well have down a pint of Jack at that point because right. you're you're about as in control and as um, attentive to your driving as if you yeah you know pounded alcohol yeah um so there's a lot of things a lot of ways to prevent an outburst um and it it really involves knowing yourself it really involves being honest with yourself asking people into your life uh in your life to help you understand when you're getting close to that place of rage um and being willing to hear that and do something about it yeah um so, you know, there's like okay. what you were talking about with EMDR. You know, it's it's all about um, taking the memory and um, and reprocessing it so that it gets stored appropriately and adaptively. And, and you know, with that adaptive piece comes um, coping skills and mechanisms. So,
0: well, that's a that's a great summary. Thank you so much, Kyle. Yeah, Coming to travel. the end of our time. Listeners who want to contact you can reach you at the Center for Relational Healing in Brentwood, Tennessee?
4: Yes. uh, They can either... um, Or can they email you? They can email me. They can go to my website. It's just kylrigsby.com. Okay, cool. And... um, Do you do Skype sessions? Uh, I can do Skype sessions, yes.
3: So if a guy is anywhere in the country and thinks, "All right, this seems like a safe person, I may need to do a couple chats and I'm willing... Want to take that step, then they can get a hold of you. Absolutely, technology is amazing, Isn't guys. It?
4: You know, you know
3: who he is now, so <laughs> you can trust this guy. <laughs> Thanks, Aaron. You're welcome. All <laughs>
0: right. Well, I think that about wraps us up. It's been another great week here on the Pirate Monk Podcast, uh, fellas. We'll do it again next week. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Nate. Thank you, Kyle. Until then, it's. It's, uh, it's, it's Nate, Aaron, and Mondo, and our good friend Kyle Rigsby saying goodbye from the Pirate Monk Podcast. All right.